Hello, lovely podcast people, and welcome to another episode of Not Another Ninjas in Hotel. Don't know why I stumbled my words there so much. Um, I, I can't wait to get this podcast on YouTube so I can stop saying this, but when it's up there, and those of you watching, I'm wearing these funny looking glasses these blue light blockers i might actually do an episode on blue light blockers at some point um because lots of quacks are into them lots of the biohacking quacks who make stuff up and go outside of their scope of knowledge massively and make silly leaps of faith with silly products like bulletproof coffee and rubbish wear them and the the problem is, it's one of those things, it's a bit like the word influencer. It got made dirty, didn't it? Um, what else got made dirty? Words like feminist is a bit of a dirty word now for some people. Anyway, so these blue light blockers, they most people who wear them are just douchebags, really. But anyway, I'm recording this. I haven't got my watch on, but I'm recording this podcast at 10 to midnight with extremely bright light in my eyes I just realized that's one of my lights I'm just messing about with the camera sorry if you can't hear me right now anyway so I'm wearing these in an in a it's one of those things a bit like I'm using a bucket to get water off the Titanic. At the end of the day, I've got hugely bright light and blue light isn't the only issue. Bright light is an issue. Mental stimulation is an issue. But I really wanted to record this podcast for you tonight whilst some things were on my mind. Anyway, this podcast is has been a long time coming and I've got this new notepad in front of me, which I got sent by a lovely podcast listener, an appreciative podcast listener. It says, my epic ideas and impure thoughts. It hasn't got any of my impure thoughts. <laughs> it's got some notes on quality and quantity of food. Not quite as um, moistening to the loins. <laughs> What a phrase, moistening to the loins. But still, I hope this podcast does make you moist intellectually. So I'm going to talk about calories or food. I'm going to, realistically, I'm talking about these things interchangeably to some extent, the quality and quantity. Now, the quantity of food you consume, if we're talking grammage, can change massively whilst the calories stay the same, etc. But we're talking about, um, you know, set par, which I believe is Latin, all else being equal. Let's see. Alexa, what does set par mean in Latin? Hmm, I don't understand. Mm. Try something like, how do you say hello in Spanish? Do be quiet. Do a little Google because I have set par Latin. Set not par definition meaning. Nope, I have 
Ceteris paribus, meaning other things equal. Look at that. Where do I pull this knowledge from? No idea how I know that. Anyway, <laughs> let's carry on. Quality versus quantity. Um, this discussion is an inane discussion that for my entire career has been going on. And realistically, I should have prepared a whole lot more for this podcast. But I'm just going to chat because that's the point of my podcast, a place for me to just dump the contents of my brain into these for you to learn from for free. You're welcome. Yes, I'm amazing. But this is quite a cool podcast because I can point you towards some quite amazing research on the subject. One particular study that springs to mind is, and I was just flicking through my notepad, sorry, and I was trying to think because when I've been recording these things in the past, I feel like in some of our chats that you and I have had, I have written stuff down and I've never actually gone back to this just yet. Dietary fiber variety, hello, do you remember that from one of the early ones? Um, So, I feel like I had mentioned it in here somewhere, toxic positivity, um, all sorts of stuff in here, goodness, being the other parent, co-parenting, goodness me, some cool stuff, um, how I made, got over my short temper, goodness me, some cool things we're going to talk about in the future. Roll on 2021. Now, where was I? Quality versus quantity. Yes. Oh, I don't see much. Oh, you go with intentions. Oh, this guy. If this guy was chocolate, he'd eat himself. There's <laughs> a bit of a Marilyn Manson reference in there somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> Jeez. Now, the quality versus quantity of calories. And there's an amazing paper by, and I should have Googled it, by Kevin Hall. In fact, maybe I will. Uh, by Kevin Hall on the, basically they compared an unprocessed diet to an, what they deter, what they called an ultra processed diet. And there's this issue of how do we define processing? Because if you put food in a food processor, is it, is it processed food? If we chew it, is that a form of processing? What's the difference? How does it, and so really this ultra processed food was more a case of stuff that has been really through the food science lab to change the way it impacts our brain it's the sugar that all these different senses the sweet this the the salty um the fatty mixed together to give us this hedonic response and um the amazing thing about this paper is that it's published in Cell, which is one of the the really, really good um, journals. And es- essentially, Kevin Hall is an amazing researcher um, who gets, I don't know how, but he gets really amazing funding and he does these metabolic ward st- studies, which are fantastic because you don't get the issues that you get with other studies in terms of adherence we tell a group of subjects to do a certain thing and do they actually bother doing it oh 
and we don't really know and sometimes we can use certain metrics like biomarkers to see if they're really following the type of advices we've given them and you know if they're supposed to be doing a ketogenic diet we can measure the presence of uh, ketones in their blood etc you know different things but when you've got a metabolic ward study you can just do it and it's amazing but he does all of these different studies which are which are absolutely amazing and they're essentially uh, okay, I found it. I'm not, not going to read it in front of you. But what's really cool about this study is you can look it up and they literally give you the menus. It's like they employed a professional photographer to actually take pictures of the types of foods that the different groups were eating. And and essentially they showed uh, ultra-processed diets cause excess calorie intake and weight gain an inpatient randomized control trial of ad libitum food intake so you can go and look this up hall et al 2019 um i'm pretty sure it's open access and you can go through and it's super cool you know day seven dinner ultra-processed menu peanut butter and jelly sandwich on white bread 2% 2% milk, baked Cheetos, graham crackers, chocolate pudding. And then you've got like, um, and then the, the daily snacks on the ultra-processed diet, etc. And so, oh, here we go. Fire yogurt. I actually mentioned that, I think, in my in another podcast that will be released around the same time as this one. The, I think it's Sugar One, part one. Fire yogurt, which the the Muppet, uh, Dr. Asim Alhotra, said was giving people diabetes because of all the added sugar despite it not having any added sugar uh, but here we go breakfast greek fire yogurt with strawberries banana and walnuts salt and olive oil it's like gourmet this unprocessed menu day one lunch spinach salad with chicken breast apple slices bulgur sunflower seeds and grapes vinaigrette made with olive oil like geez this is some menu tenderloin roast beef for dinner oh making me hungry about to go have a meal actually at midnight um anyway the point being is this study is an absolutely phenomenal study in the amount of control they have in this inpatient study And what's fantastic as well, and it relates to lots of different things that people discuss, they matched the macronutrients. So what's really interesting is they matched for protein and sugar and fat and fiber. Again, something, oh, is it going to make you more full or not as full? And um, the, the meals were presented, were matched for calories. But again, people could finish or not finish the meals, etc., etc. And one of the things now, you know, a couple of years on from the study being published, one of the big things was the fact that they were drinking a lot of these sugary calories in the ultra-processed arm. And that is potentially a discussion and something I... I did actually touch on in Sugar One is, you know, the form in which we consume foods 
makes a difference the types of foods that we consume if i've always said i think i can literally think of a youtube video from about 2000 and i don't know 8 9 10 11 i don't know when i had hair <laughs> and um well, i talk about this you know drinking lots of fruit juice maybe not being the ideal thing for many of us especially those of us with inactive lifestyles those of us who are in periods of a life where we might be prone to weight gain because of lack of, of activity and stress leading us to eating more potentially if that's um the type of person that you are but anyway probably not a good idea and um anyway this, so this study is fantastic ad libitum intake so this is basically eating to pleasure eating to fullness eating you know to comfort not putting any restrictions on yourself ad libitum intake was 500 calories per day more on the ultra processed diet and they gained um body weight so it's a very interesting study in terms of us discussing this quality versus quantity now, it's difficult because some of these charlatans and just silly people, I don't know, you know, they're just trying to be fancy. They orthorexia promoting kind of clean eating crowd and whoever, you know, if you eat any sugar, it'll cause you to be insulin resistant and gain fat and it doesn't matter. Calories don't count and you have to eat organic food and all of these silly people non-scientific no evidence for what they say and this is the this is the issue is the but they're making these claims the burden of proof of them is to prove it but no one ever goes to them they'll people will send me their post and their rubbish and it it's frustrating because i'm just like just unfollow them stop sending it to me just ignore these people or have the guts to ask them what is the evidence and when you get someone who is open to questioning and showing, like, ask any evidence-based practitioner for evidence of what they're saying. And I, I'm sure they will go out and send you references. And the evidence, rather than buy my course, buy my book, just, you know, buy my book as if their book, they're just claiming... They're just getting money and they're just making the same unfounded claims in their book. So, you know, whereas this this idea that you have to eat clean to lose body fat, for instance, um, and you it, you have to be really clear in your head what the discussion you're having is. I'm trying to turn to see if I've ever written this down, but just understanding are you discussing health or are you discussing fat loss or body composition changes and are you discussing someone who tracks or counts their calories or are you talking about someone who just um eats ad, you know in an ad libitum fashion sorry my brain went somewhere else um so 
You have to be clear about these discussions. So it is very, very clear that an unprocessed diet made up of mostly whole foods is the healthiest type of diet. We want to be eating those. However, that doesn't mean we can't be extremely healthy and health being um, much more than simply a physiological marker and much more than you know, many, many facets to health in terms of how, and even just our choice of how we live and that feeling right and good to us. But there's also this thing of if you are active and if you're going to the gym and if you're training and, and whatever and playing sport or, you know, if you're super, super active, there's not a great deal of evidence of needing a massive great deal more of the micronutrients if you've already got a very good diet. So from that point, and even then, lots of these charlatans are pushing all sorts of supplements and this, that, and the other, getting you know many hundreds, if not thousands times of the RDA of different things or RNIs. They have their limitations, of course, but when you, know, you don't need, your, your need for zinc doesn't double because you're super active and you go into the gym and all that kind of jazz. So we have this scenario of there is room for slightly more hedonic or processed or even ultra processed foods in our diet. And, you know, for instance, again, if you want to compare this, I feel like I've said this before recently, and maybe it was in a podcast where I was a guest, but we look at ancestral cultures and sometimes they will gorge when they they have a particular food source that is readily available uh you know i can think of you know this uh, I, i can't remember what country but um a certain group of individuals when they find a um bee's nest they will essentially climb high into these trees and steal all of this honey, but literally gorge on it. And despite getting stung millions of times by these bees, and um, obviously they're climbing trees to get it as well, so there's a there's a factor to consider there. But the point being is <clears throat> this waxing and waning, and, and, and I've talked before about normal eating, sometimes overeating and... Uh, or eating more and other days eating less, etc. This waxing and waning of energy intake. Um, the the most, most nutrient-dense diet is one that is going to come from these whole foods. But how that then ends up impacting health, health is multifactorial. And there are there is room, you know, if you're eating a lot of fruit, there isn't, fruit isn't hugely micronutrient-dense in terms of our vitamins and minerals you know people sort of go oh you get all these vitamins and minerals from your fruit and you don't really get a great deal from fruit other than um, you get lots of these antioxidants and I've, I've spoken about these flavonoids and phytonutrients and from your berries and whatever that we don't fully understand their role and but we clearly have seen these amazing correlations around fruit and vegetable intake and, and certain types of cancer etc but we also know there are these profound effects of, en- you know, changing energy intake 
and uh, markers of risk and, and even, you know, real hard endpoints like um, heart attacks and, and death and, you know, mortality risk, not just morbidities. So anyway, with regards to weight loss, if we're discussing that, we do have this scenario. And actually, now I'm thinking about it, I do wonder... No, it's not this study, but it is another Hall study, and I think it is the ultra-low-fat diet, maybe? Or maybe there's a vegan diet? There's his recent study, which is maybe 2020 or 2021. Study... Here we go. Talking about a plant-based low-fat diet versus animal-based ketogenic diet. And the low-fat diet led to 689 less energy intake. Um, that was discussing more about the carbohydrate-insulin hypothesis and that kind of stuff. So maybe that's not, I'm not remembering exactly. No, what I think I'm thinking of is one of his 2016, maybe 2017 studies on a low-carbohydrate versus low-fat diet and the drop in energy intake there. But anyway, the point being, <clears throat> if we're tracking calories, it does not really matter from a fat loss perspective where those calories come from. I think that that's just worth pointing out here and that's what i was sort of saying about these orthorexia promoted people's food demonization it's like you can eat everything uh, uh you know any type of food and it's important from a mental health perspective and a relationship with foodless perspective not to really seriously demonize these foods and we do live in a time where our food environment is not optimal i'm just going to check the battery on my phone it's not optimal because we're down to twenty percent. <clears throat> it's not optimal because the we have this obesogenic food environment. We are bombarded by marketing and advertising and super nice tasting food and offices that are full of junk food all day long and everyone has a birthday seemingly every day of the year despite only having fifteen other staff members. <laughs> it's always someone's birthday. Oh, you know, it's my husband's birthday, so I bought this in. Oh, it's my wife's birthday. Oh, it's my girlfriend's birthday, so I just brought the cake in. And you just got junk food in the office all the time. And I'm not <laughs> not particularly saying that with bad. I am always the babies in the office bringing sweets and treats in for staff. Just little treat, some flapjacks into the office or some eclairs. Ollie loves bringing eclairs for the staff, for our staff for my staff, for her friends, into the office. Um, and um, so, where was I? We live in this environment, and so we almost have to reside ourselves to, yes, if you are going to go live in the woods or you live on an island where this isn't the case, you're lucky. And if you can set, you know, you're, again, try setting your, it, your environment does matter. Maybe that's something that I talk about in the future, I don't know, but about, your home environment, your office environment. Um, you know, it, if you buy lots of junk food, 
ultra-processed food, highly palatable food, if you buy it and it's in the house, it will be eaten by you or someone you love at some point. It's not to say don't ever eat it or don't ever buy it, but just bear in mind, if you buy it, you or someone you love or know <laughs> will eat it. Um, so the quality versus quantity, the health versus fat loss, no, you know, people just love to argue and be heard. And maybe, you know, they're in these unhappy relationships where they don't feel heard. So they have to jump onto Instagram and, Oh, Martin, you're saying that people can lose fat whilst eating a diet that's 43% sugar. Well, are you saying everyone should eat a diet that is exactly 70% carbohydrate and 43% of their calories coming from sugar? Study, Servet et al., 1997, I believe it was. Um, no, I'm not, <laughs> obviously. I'm just trying to get across this idea that you don't have to be this, be orthorexic to be healthy, to lose fat, to change your body composition, to achieve your goals, to improve your health, and that there is this ability, you know, people talk about oh 80 20 this and it, you know it just doesn't matter there's no rule there's nothing you can use but it's you just again it's this finding what works for you being reflective just understanding but not being led down the wrong path by some of these people who just want to lie and deceive and make money and make noise or get famous or appear to be cleverer than they are so quality versus quantity, we can we don't need any dietary quality. It really almost completely comes down to the number of calories. Now I say that and it's something I talked about in my tour. You know, people are like, oh, is there anything outside of calories? Well, no. But as long as you understand energy in and energy out, as long as you understand that not everything you put in your mouth counts as energy in. Even if you swallow, it doesn't necessarily count as energy in. I know where your minds have gone. But, you know, as much as I'm joking around, you, when, even when you swallow something, it's still out deemed to be outside of the body. Your gastrointestinal tract is deemed to be outside of the body. You can put foreign objects into an orifice and it's still outside of the body until it's absorbed. <laughs> Go and leave a review on iTunes about how amazing my podcast is. Come on now. Uh, entertainment inside your ears. Another orifice infotainment sorry not just entertainment so this brings us back to you know the gut health discussion people with crohn's or celiac disease and these kind of things losing weight because they're not absorbing the calories and we have to absorb them so you've also got these other scenarios of the the matrix of food and the there i cannot remember the author which is super annoying because i know the study but can replacing a thousand calories worth of whole grains with a thousand calories just complete one diet is all whole grain and the other diet is all refined grains and the difference is literally a 
few calories, tens of calories, nothing that's going to make a big, big, big difference in the grand scheme of things. Now, it might if you are eating, as I've just mentioned there, processed versus unprocessed foods, etc. But if you're counting calories from those things, it's not going to make a big difference. So therefore, you can eat white rice instead of, for instance, brown rice if you prefer it. Because let's be honest, brown rice is like eating and not the good kind of brown rice is like i've said this before carbohydrates on viagra it's always hard no matter how long you cook it for i'm right aren't i it's obscene it's horrific you cook basmati rice for about 11 minutes and you cook brown rice for 14 hours and it's still hard um Let's get away from things being hard, shall we? Now, therefore, there is a very small difference in the absorbable calories. Therefore, the calories in is what is the difference. It's not that, oh, that's disproven calories in, calories out. It hasn't because the calories aren't going in if they are staying within the fibrous matrix of the food and going out in your feces. <clears throat> so, quality versus quantity. Fat loss is always about the quantity of calories going in, into the system, being absorbed, assimilated, stored. But when we have clients and people and ourselves and we are not tracking, it's probably good to get into a habit gain lifelong habits of eating the types of foods that are satiating and lead us to eat in roughly energy balance. One of the best things we can do for lifelong health is lifelong maintenance of weight. So, you know, I've spoken about coaching to live, I've talked about learning to live, eating to live, you know, diets don't need to be sustainable. What needs to be sustainable is the habits that lead to eating in energy balance, not eating in an energy deficit. And so one of those is getting used to scenarios where you're eating mostly unprocessed healthy foods. Getting enough protein, getting enough dietary variety, getting fiber variety, dietary fiber variety. Getting a good rhythm with your eating, etc., etc., etc. Getting enough vegetables. So, yeah. If you have any questions about this, get them on the post that I do on Instagram each time. Um, if you want any follow-ups, if you want any links to, you know, I will, I will get the links to the studies that I've specifically mentioned in this podcast into the show notes and probably on the Instagram post. Um, I, I, I mentioned, I don't know the, um, oh yeah, no, I mentioned the Serwit paper about, no, there's another paper, that's a weight loss paper, Serwit paper. There's another paper 
annoyingly. This is why I should prepare just a teeny tiny bit, but then you'd get less stuff. So anyway, when we do have higher sugar content, you know, we standardize for energy intake and we have a higher sugar content of a diet and things eaten ad libitum, forget the amount of processing and not processing and this, that and the other, people do eat more calories. So adding sugar to, to a diet increases the hedonic response. It increases the pleasure centers in the brain and we want to eat more of those foods. I, I often use this analogy of like, you know, put a plate of noodles in front of you, eat and eat as many noodles as you can not even to you know force feeding just eat or pick the your favorite kind of carb right whatever it is potato this and the other chips you know low low fat version of chips and get to the point where you're just like i've fatigued i'm fatigued of eating one full whatever but now add some sweet chili sauce to the noodles now add some barbecue or tomato sauce to the um to the chips, whatever, and you can eat more. So it's that taste variety. We we get taste fatigue by adding in the sugar. But again, in terms of reward centers in the brain, we add sugar to something and it tastes better. You combine sugar and fat and you get donuts and cookies and whatever. And we know that these things are extremely pleasurable, pleasurable and are... Um, you know, causing areas in the brain, pleasure, pleasure areas in the brain to light up and fire like crazy. So, again, even when we are tracking calories, there's something to be said for just making life easier. I talk about aggressive dieting because it switches off my hunger and then it's just an easy process. It's not just rewarding in that I lose fat really fast. It's also that I find it easier because I'm not hungry. So again, just understanding well, even if you are tracking, there's something to be said for just making adult choices, I'm going to call them. Don't try and fit as much ice cream or as many donuts into your flexible dieting plan, for instance. I remember years back when I, you know, knew that I could just, if it fits your macros, flexible diet, whatever, and I had the choice of having porridge oats as a meal and whatever porridge type meal, or I think it was ground rice something, and you added some sugar and whatever, and it was so tasty. It was like rice flour or something, is that what it is? I can't really remember, but it tasted phenomenal, and it did bulk up in size with all the water, we added the sugar and it tasted so good and there was very relatively little fiber and stuff and it just left me hungrier and wanting loads more so then i knew okay well if i don't want to feel like that and i want to continue to meet my goals and whatever and make the process as easy as possible i'll choose the oats which i still enjoy the porridge it's just not as pleasurable you know as, as like eating donuts would be more pleasurable but again adult choices which is an interesting segue into some chats about intuitive eating. And I'm going to do a whole podcast on intuitive eating, I think. And any questions and discussions you've seen around intuitive eating, please log on to martin-mcdonald.com forward slash N-A-N-P. And 
Let me know what you want to know. What are you confused about? Ask me questions so that I can do something that's really, really helpful for you or your clients or your friends so that I answer the questions, the things that you're struggling with, what are you tackling? People go, what's the deal with intuitive eating? Like, what does that mean? What do you mean, what's the deal with it? How much reading have you done on it? Let me put some context in there for me so I can answer you where you're at, where you're coming from. Um, cool, I hope this has been helpful. Um, I feel like, again, there's some good references in there, some science in there. Again, it's something that I just think has cropped up a lot. It wasn't specific questions or suggestions from you guys. The questions, again, I've had so many questions about menopause. My goodness, probably going to end up doing like four podcasts on the menopause. Um, everyone seems to want to know about the menopause. And I get it. You're either going to go through it or you've gone through it or you know someone who's going through it or you work with people who are going to go through it or have gone through it or are going through it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. Right. Until next time, thanks for your support. Thank you for all your reviews. Thanks for your interactions on each of the Instagram posts. I really appreciate it. Um, they don't get much traction, obviously, because they're more just signposts and there's not much discussion or controversy. But I appreciate you guys plugging the podcast. Um, it's climbing very, very slowly up into the nutrition realm. Um, but yeah, till next time, much love.